Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host Patrick from Pull String Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Ah, good morning, Mark. I would love you to uh, meet Starshine Rochelle. Starshine, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's fun to be here. Yeah, we. Um, so we we've met over the years. You've uh, Santa Barbara fixture. People will recognize your byline in um, pretty much anything they've read over the last how many years? Twenty years. Oh, or not that aboutish. long. Aboutish. Aboutish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stopped counting. Currently writing for The Independent, is that correct? I do, yeah. I've been writing a column for The Independent for about 12 years now. 12 years. How, where do you get your inspiration? So, lots of different places, actually. So, um, I write columns about things that I'm passionate about. If I feel excited about something during the week, angry about something, uh, something makes me laugh really hard... Um, th those those are good potential columns. Um, definitely get inspired by things happening in the news, kind of spinning off those um, trends I hear about, um, and things that are happening in my family, things that happen in my daily life that I think may be happening to other people as well. And what's your favorite thing to write about? Gosh, um, that's hard. I've been doing this a really it's long like your time. Favorite, like your favorite kid, right? Yeah. You can't right, do that. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I really enjoy writing um, humor. I enjoy, my oh. favorite is when I write something that makes me chuckle because um, I know that'll make other people laugh usually too. But, um, but sometimes the things that I'm most proud of are the serious columns, which are more, which are fewer and further between. Um, but they're the ones that I get the most feedback on where people say, you know, I mm. really appreciate, I really appreciate you laying yourself bare like that. Mm -hmm. Transparency is always uh, an attractor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting and, the way and that it's, works. It's harder for me. You know, it takes a little bit more um, soul searching a little bit. So I, so I feel prouder of those. I think we're, we're all reluctant to be truthful and out there and just put sure. it out there and drop all the shields. Sure. Um, so we also know each other from TEDx. Yeah. Uh, Fielding has been a sponsor for, for a long time of, of every TEDx Santa Barbara that we've done. And when we're coaching our speakers, we talk about starting with a story and uh, being very vulnerable. That's one of the TED commandments is be mm. vulnerable and tell a story you've never told before. Yeah, that's why they're so compelling. Right? Yeah, right. Because sure. the, the, there's that connection. I noticed you sitting in the front row. What was that like? Now, was that one of your kids with you? Yes, yes, my son Dash. And how did? What did he think? He loves it. So he's my family. I come from a family of storytellers. I grew up uh, in um, in Hollywood in the entertainment business. So he's grown up around a lot of storytellers, and so he loves hearing a good story as well. Um, and he's kind of got a very analytical mind, so he loves to learn about. Um, things in, in all different genres. And so it was really fun for him to be at TED. There's um, part of the curation is to make sure that we have a broad swath mm -hmm. of things to talk about. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we had, I love the talk about bees. Oh, I, I wasn't there for that one. Yeah, it was just cheers bees. He was just fantastic. Uh, did, now, did he see the um, pygmy seahorses? Yes, yes, love that. That was I've, so. I think I've watched that three times since. Yeah, and the music <laughs> one as well. My son's a, oh. a musician, so he loved that one. Yeah, Jeff Babco, who is the musical right. director for the Jimmy Kimmel Show. Um, as it turns out, uh, Kimberly, my wife, my listener knows my wife, and also co-organizer of TEDx Santa Barbara, uh, they. Their parents were friends before they were born, so mm. they've been friends this whole time. Oh, that's amazing. And he was up, he's a mentor at UCSB, uh, one of the jazz music programs. Mm. And Kimberly's dad went and stepmom went to see him out there and got reacquainted. And one of them said, You ought to do a TED talk. And he goes, Huh. And that's how that happened. And oh, perfect. It was really interesting, right? His it was, whole yeah. And it's nice It's nice to see one integrated with music. You don't see that very much. Right, exactly. We had, um, I forget the famous conductor, got up and explained at TED in Long Beach, explained Mozart uh -huh. to us, which was, you know, 
it was hard. It's hard, but he made it approachable and accessible, and mm. you're like, oh, oh, I get one. it. And then he, um, in a break, came out and taught the audience how to properly sing Happy Birthday. Wow, that's and it was well, like so useful, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. It was it was fantastic. Um, you're at now at Fielding. It says you're a professor of media and communications. So I actually am a, an associate director of media and communications. So so okay. So that's different. You're not you're not teaching a I'm class. I'm not teaching. I I've taught writing at City College and at UCSB, but at Fielding, I'm actually helping them tell their story out to the world. Right, that's what I thought. So um, I'm gonna uh, go get my uh, crack fact-checking staff on that. <laughs> um, you teach writing. Now, one of the things I, I love about the relationship I have with Patrick is we do a lot of different podcasts, and I've enjoined him to write abstracts would, for them. Would you call that enjoined? Yeah, that's one of my <laughs> new words. That's a great word. That's a yes. nice vocabulary word. Yes. Yeah. Uh, look that up. You that's didn't know called... you'd been enjoined. No, I, I, I would have said constricted. Uh, <laughs> conscripted, uh, maybe. Conscripted. Conscripted, yeah, yeah. He's quite a writer. What? Um, so I, I didn't realize that. So uh, there's that's the other half of the public speaking mm -hmm. coin, right, is writing your own stories and being yeah. able to craft stories. So that comes from coming from a family of storytellers. Um, talk to me about writing. As someone who's listening right now, it's maybe a CEO, entrepreneur, young person mm -hmm. thinking about doing that. Mm -hmm. They have to tell stories all the time, right? right? To raise money, talk to clients, all of that. Right. Do you have three magic things? Every story should have these three things. Hmm. So that's interesting. I also um, I am a writing instructor on lynda.com, or it's now LinkedIn Learning. Um, and the, the three courses that I have there are in headline writing, writing what? a compelling blog, and writing under a deadline, which are um, three areas that I'm, that I'm good at. But um, the things that I, when I do editing, the things that I really emphasize, um, and in my students as well, are concise writing because having come up in the news writing genre, that's really important, right? Getting, and especially you know, the less time that we have, the more stuff that's coming at us from all different areas, sure. the faster we need to get to the point. And that's where headline writing comes in, of course, that's where it really excels, is you know, how can you say something in the most compelling way in the fewest words possible and really get someone's attention? Hmm. Um, I, I do that a lot at Fielding as well. I work with a lot of academics and, um, you know, they tend to write long and use large <laughs> words. And <laughs> it's really the opposite of news writing. And I'm going, yes, but how can you say that in maybe a three or two syllable word instead of seven? Um, I think that's really important. Um, speaking to, you know, speaking to a general audience, writing the way you speak, um, that that's a big one for me. There is, uh, I remember uh, getting trapped into one of those clickbaity things where... <laughs> You, um, you know, you follow a headline, but it was about um, how to write headlines and what they had suggested. And I don't, I'm not religious about this in the sense of doing it all mm -hmm. the time, but it's, they said, um, write, get 50 versions of it. Mm. Sit down and just keep cranking until you get 50 and along around 30, you'll kind of be there. Wow. On a headline? Yeah. It's interesting. I've heard that in terms of lead writing, like in a newsroom. Um, you know, the lead what's a, is... Okay, sorry, what's a lead? Yeah, so the lead is the first sentence of, of a new oh. story. And I've often heard it said, and I've seen it, and I certainly have done it myself, where people will say, you know, a really good news writer will spend like 75% of their time on the lead. No kidding, on one sentence. Yeah, because, and it's like Jerry Roberts, who's a, a mentor of mine who was an editor at the news press. Awesome guy. Yeah, still a good friend. Um, used to say, you got to get him in the tent. You got to get him in the tent. It's like a carnival barker, right? <laughs> sure. It's like, it's like once they're in, they'll stick around and they'll stay and they'll read to the end of the story. But getting them in is hard. Grabbing their attention with, so, like I said, so many things coming at us, very distractible audiences right now, um, and getting more so all the time. The you know grabbing their attention from the very outset is so important, and then once they're hooked, they'll go along with you. They'll 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 grant you a little bit of their attention. So how has your thinking about that, the lead, the the headlines, changed now when it's now not about earning them 
reading the whole story, but it's swiping up mm. to keep reading. I mean, right. it's still about keep reading, but it's the, the access to the next thing is so easy now. Right. What's your thinking on that? Keeping them hooked throughout a story. Yeah, just stay just stay with me more than nine seconds. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I really I my I, I say that my family's storytellers. My my father's a songwriter, and um, I consider songs like stories too. And I really I find that I tend to think of storytelling and writing very much in musical ways. I, I'm I'm not a musician, but most people in my family are, and I think of. I think of sentences musically. I think of the structure of a story musically in terms of, um, again, once you're in, you're sort of grooving along and, it, and, and your job is to keep the audience um, grooving. I, that's a funny word, but you know what I mean. Like sure. once you're kind of hooked into the rhythm of something, it's easier to keep someone um, dancing with you to, to stick with the metaphor. Um, I used to say to my students that that the rhythm of your language is really important and to really give thought to the rhythm of your sentence. Don't just like thunk words down, you know, pragmatically, but really listen to the way they sound in your ear, even if you're not reading them out loud. And I feel like the structure of a, of a story or a column or a news article is the same way. You really have to think about how it flows much in the way that a song would. So what part of the content do you reserve for the bridge? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so I guess I guess in the metaphor of a column, which is the construction of an argument, really, the bridge would be the part where you um, acknowledge that you understand the opposite point of view. Oh, oh. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really important in column writing. In order to keep oh. people, it's really important in in the construction of an argument to to keep people to so. Anytime that someone can dismiss your argument as an opinion piece, right? Yeah. By saying, "Oh, oh, but she's not, but she's not talking about this other mm. thing," and that makes her argument null and void. But mm -hmm. if you can bring up that point and say, "No, no, no, I know what you're thinking. There's this other thing that makes my argument seem null and void," but and then you address that thing, and then you go back to your argument, you're like, "Oh, that's the bridge. It's framed. Yeah, that's yeah. the bridge." So in <laughs> there's this. I, I, you know, Patrick, I love these shows because I feel like I'm in a master class. I get the professor all to myself for an hour. I, I always see you. What you're doing is, is you, you start decoding the life you already understand. Like you already have been reading articles for, you know, 60 years, and suddenly somebody explains them to you, and you go, "Oh, that's why I, I listened to that, or that's yeah. why I read that." Yeah. And it's like, it's like people just come in here and decode your life. Is it's, that what it is? Yeah. There's a line out the it's, door. It's the main reason you run this whole podcast is like because you it's need therapy. experts to come it's in here for me. tell you how your uh, life is going. It, a couple of things. Uh, on a column being argument, had never thought of it that way. I love mm -hmm. that. That's, That's really just good. Really yeah. just nice frame exactly. However, how do you – and now I think that the bridge is even more – important in these polarized times mm. where you either you're either reading on this side of the mm -hmm. page or that side of the page mm -hmm. and you start reading it. oh nope this is written by one of those one of yes. them yes i got <laughs> the, that email uh, just the yesterday other. oh really? you got it yesterday <laughs> yeah i mean i get it pretty regularly but i just i got it last night from someone what I does did. it look like what's that email? i got an email subject line said oh brother uh oh and i opened it up and it just said rolling my eyes I didn't I that's all it said I didn't even know who it was from or what it was about so I just wrote cool. back I mean all it said was you oh, wrote brother. back oh I always write back oh that's oh. very yeah that's very unless good. there's a death threat and then I send it on to law enforcement yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah I um because I think it's so I enjoy confrontation <laughs> and I think it's fun to try to see if I can get people to engage with me okay and um not in a nasty way just in a like FYI, when you write to someone, there's someone there re reading it. Yeah. So don't just be nasty. Um, understand that you've actually landed somewhere and that someone's going to read that and feel that. So um, so I write back until and I can usually um, de-escalate, which mm. which is awesome. And they and, and often I get people to write back and say, you know what? Thank you for making me think about that. I still disagree with you, but I appreciate you writing back or. Um, I never thought of it that way. Or I think that writing back thing is the main thing because whenever whenever you launch off a letter that you've spent you've spent 
even if it's seconds, you still feel like, I really need somebody to hear me say this. Mm. And to have yeah. the writer actually respond and say, no, I heard you say that. We yeah. don't agree, but I heard you say that. Right. Yeah. I do feel like that. So I feel like I have the best job in the world. I mean, what a privilege it is, right, to be able to sort of spout off on something that I feel passionate about uh, on a regular basis to a built-in audience. Um, that I mean, who gets to do that? That's that's amazing. Oh, and, we do on this show. Yeah, you do too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, not everybody gets to. And um, and frankly, I don't always have things I want to say. And the weeks that I don't, you can probably tell because it's not a great column. But um, the weeks that I do have something I want to say, it's so nice to have that outlet. Um, and and because I have that, and because I really don't mince words, and I really do put some strong opinions out there, I feel like I need to be able to take what I dish out, right? Like I, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. putting my opinion out there. If people want to send me theirs, you know, they're certainly entitled to do that. Inside the parameters of it not being super inflammatory or, or threatening. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 able to do that. You know, free speech. Yep. <laughs> but you know, and I. Um, I always try to write back in the same tone minus one of <laughs> whatever they sent me. What's your lead time on an article? You say you're, you're doing your column weekly, and, and so you don't have like six queued up. You're, you're I don't. I usually have a few ideas in my head that are sort of mushy um, that I can pluck. I actually write every other week for The Independent. and um, Some breathing room there. Yeah, and so I have a week to sort of ponder and then um, – one downside of that is that my because my column's not a, a hard news column, my deadline's almost a week ahead of time. Mm. And so um, sometimes when I want to write about something really newsy, by the time it comes out these days, it's sort of like, wait, that was like a full seven days ago. No, 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 <laughs> excuse know? me. That was three hours ago. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's gotten to where you, you, uh, everything has changed, as we know. But we, we checked that news, what was in the overnights. And then by noon, something has changed. And, and I watch the news at night now, and I'm like, yeah, no. Everything changed at 4. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no one's talking about that anymore. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about having a strong point of view. We had John Silva from the Dupuis Group on, and he talked about – it was another episode. Listener, go back and find that one because that was uh, worth a re-listen. He talked about brands being – uh, have a point of view, but he also said be polarizing. Figure out who your audience is. Mm. What do you think about that? That's interesting. I um, I don't disagree with that. <clears throat> I think I might have done that without knowing it and without intentionally doing it. I think when I started writing the column, which um, I was at the news press then, I was trying to be more inclusive and, you know, sort of shave off my rough edges and um and include you know make 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 everybody like me mm. um you know how'd that work out yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> I'm not, the I'm point not great at that that's exactly so the point. um i mean you know the column was popular and stuff but i felt a little hamstrung i i didn't really get to say every time i had something i really wanted to say i had to sort of file it down mm-hmm. um and over the years I have done less and less of that, and I and when less I of the filing. Less of the filing, yeah. yeah. When I went to when I switched to the independent, which is you know a little bit more welcomes a little bit more of a of a loud, unapologetic voice. Um, angry poodle. Yeah, exactly. I can never match Nick for for angry poodleness. Um, I I just sort of let her rip, and I have certainly um, polarized readers as a result of that. Um, but it's it's working for me. I, I, I like that. I found my audience. Now, you mentioned earlier um, what it feels like to, we were talking about acknowledging the other point of view and it being a very polarized society. I, I don't want to write something that people just dismiss. I do still enjoy the challenge of trying to, to change minds. It's not my primary goal, right? I mean, my primary goal is entertainment. And oh. then and then my secondary goal is to make people think and make people feel, um, you know, less alone. I, I, that probably sounds trite, but to, to connect no. with people and, and have people um, think, oh, my gosh, I've felt that exact same thing, but I've never expressed it that way or heard anyone necessarily put it to words. And I um, 
you know, remind people that we're all sort of more alike than we are different. I mean, I love, I love those kinds of feelings. But then the third thing, if I can get somebody to think of something in a fresh or new way that they hadn't before, then that's a, that's a real win for me. Who are your, who, do you, do you have columns that you read? Do you have, do you have writers that are kind of writing like, like what you're writing and you're looking at them and, and, and no, being inspired or were you Not ever? anymore, but I did. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I grew up like, this is, this is so funny, but I grew up, like I said, in entertainment and I discovered this book by Irma Bombeck. <laughs> do you know sure, of course. she is? She was a columnist in, in the, I guess, 50s and 60s and 70s. And um, she wrote about being sort of a housewife and mom. And she was really funny. And I was like 11 when I, when I discovered her books. Yeah. We had nothing in common at all. She was a Midwest housewife. Um, but I just thought it was so funny and entertaining that she was writing about true things, right? I was in mm, this world of mm. fiction. I was growing up around screenwriters yeah. and musicians and movie producers and TV directors and Who were making make-believe. Fake stuff, yeah. just fake stuff, which is fun and interesting, but it was just, it was bullshit, frankly, you know? Am I allowed to say that? Of course. <laughs> we have a dispensation on that. Yeah, we're covered. <laughs> and, um, and the idea that you could, that you could sort of tell true stories that were entertaining mm was really exciting to me. Also, my parents had a book of um, poems by Charles Osgood, who was a CBS news anchor. Famous. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, but that, those two things, just right? putting them together, poetry, news anchor. I know. Mm. And the book, I, I'll never forget, it's called Nothing Could Be Finer Than a Crisis That Is Minor in the Morning. And it was all about, <laughs> he'd good. written fun, really funny like limericks and poems about news items. Anyway, the, it just this idea that people could write Entertaining stories about true things yeah. was sort of anathema in my family, and I was drawn to it. The um, okay, I have so many notes here. Um, do you know Jenna McCarthy? Very well. Yeah, we're good friends. She's awesome. I love her. You right? Yeah. Talk about a funny writer. Yeah, she's hilarious. Right. She we did. had her on the TED stage. Uh, still the number I one. I saw her there. Uh, that was at the Music Academy in, yep. in uh, 2011. And she, I think, just broke five million views of wow. that talk. Wow, does not surprise me. She's right. so entertaining. Yeah, very, very funny. Uh, we, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. You were talking about writing funny, and, and you've explained that more in the context of real things funny. Uh, our listener knows I'm an improver. I love going to improv. Yes. And they, there is a little side troupe inside that group that does sketch, which is all about writing funny. Mm. So it's the... The other side of the improv coin, right? Oh, neat. Right? A lot of uh, troops have, like Second City and all of them, they've got sketch and improv. Mm. Or they use improv and then something was really funny and let's take and develop that idea and turn it into a sketch. Mm. Have you ever written humor for for a sketch at all? No, I did. I um, I wrote a sitcom pilot with my friend Sherry Steinkellner who lives here in Montecito. She's a writer for Cheers. Um, she has a bunch of Emmys for writing Cheers with her husband Bill. Thank her, th- thank her for me, would you? Yes, I'll tell her. Informative part of my childhood. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So it was quite an honor. She's really, really funny. And um, after the news press sort of imploded, I was one of the r- reporters who left there um, during the ethical crisis. Let's just call it that. And we just decided to have this cathartic writing session. So we Mm. wrote um, this sitcom pilot about a newsroom and it was really, really funny. But I haven't done any, um, I haven't done a lot of humor writing outside of the column besides that. I want to go back to you, your background and interviewing people. Mm -hmm. Because you've, you know, the list of people you've interviewed is pretty amazing. Yeah, I've been very lucky, yeah. Right, now, were they people that came through Santa Barbara and you had a chance to get them because they were here for the libero or they were, it was kind of part of the work, right? You got, you had access as a result of that. Some of them are. I mean, I I started at the Hollywood Reporter in Los Angeles, so a lot of them were through that. but yes, I I've done a lot of interviews um, as from being a reporter here in town um, through the film festival, through I was a music critic um, for a while here and got to do some interviews that way as well. So staying on interviewing yeah. uh, because it's like the most favorite thing I do 
in the world. It's an art. I, I love it. <laughs> um, I, I was saying to someone, I feel like everything in life has led me to this moment where I get to have these conversations and record them. Uh, so there's a guy named Jesse Thorne. Do you know who Jesse Thorne is? No. He, and a famous NPR. Um, he does, he's back east. Mm -hmm. And last summer he did a project called The Turnaround. Oh yeah, yes, I, yeah, I've listened. Okay. I didn't know that was his name, That's but I have had that podcast. So The Turnaround, for our listener, uh, it's kind of an inside baseball deal because mm -hmm. he's an interviewer. Yeah. And what he did was he said, I want to understand interviewing. Mm -hmm. And he went and interviewed 20 people. Uh, Katie Couric and um, yeah, that was a good uh, one. All the names are escaping me, but they were uh, Larry King, uh, 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 Ira Glass, etc. And it was interesting in listening to that how you, all of the tips mm -hmm. you got from that. I'm curious when you were listening to that, did you write down some tips? I listened to it in my car, so I wasn't writing down, but I definitely <laughs> uh, took some mental notes. I actually listened to it before I interviewed Samantha B last year at the Arlington. Oh. That was um, a good show. Thanks. That was uh, interesting for me. <laughs> no joke. Okay. I just I normally interview people for print, and that was so much fun. Um, and I'm a huge fan of hers, so I was kind of fangirling out a little bit. But um, but interviewing people live in front of an audience turns out to be a whole different animal, and uh, I learned a lot from it actually. Tell me tell me more. But I, I've only I've gotten to do that twice. Yeah. See uh, International, the local company mm -hmm. that uh, takes doctors. For our listener, you can look them up. S E E International. Yeah. They uh, take doctors, and uh, doctors will donate two weeks of the year to go out and do these. Um, uh, cataract surgeries in third world uh, the $2,000 surgery here they do it for 50 bucks mm -hmm. uh, out in the world and they last year asked me to interview the winner of the Nelson Mandela humanitarian mm. prize who is one of their doctors wow. at the libero and I I said to them I said where on the internet does it say that's what I do <laughs> and they go well you do a podcast you just sit up there and talk to people I was like it's so not the same thing uh, but they they liked it and they had me come back and do it again and so i'm just personal interest <laughs> mark needs some tips what did well, you learn from what, samantha what, B? what what was it that um was different because there really wasn't i don't remember there being audience audience interaction but there's an energetic reaction right, right. to questions and answers right well so the main difference for me was um before i interview celebrities i usually do a lot of research on them and mostly i read recent interviews with them because um, I've had some real dud interviews. I won't say with you, <laughs> but um, uh, with people who just didn't want to be talking to me. Hmm. They're uh, just sticking to their script or whatever? Yeah, their yeah. publicist made PR them. PR sitting there. They didn't yeah. want to do it. They, you know, they were sort of for it. And so it was low energy. They gave sort of crap answers. And, um, you know, you, an interviewer can only do so much, right, with, with that. So I try to ask them questions they haven't been answered, asked 20 times in the right. last month, right, by everyone else. And the way you do that is just read the other interviews and see what they've already said. And you'll see, if you read the same interview with the same actor, they'll give the exact same answer. Right. Exact, oh, almost word for word, right? Yeah, and so why, I, I don't need to interview them for that. I could just see what they said to someone else. So. Um, I, I try to ask them something they haven't been asked. And when you do that, you hear the shift in their voice and they go, oh, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. And then suddenly the interview takes a completely different tone. And then they're, then it's like a conversation. It's not an interview. And they suddenly you just you get a lot better results. So um, I, I tried to do that with Samantha B, which is, you know, she I tried to ask her things that she hadn't been asked a million times recently. It was right when Me Too was sort of getting off the ground and she'd been talking so much about Me Too in every single interview that, that she had. And I didn't go into that a whole lot because I felt like we'd all heard it so, so much and we had this great opportunity to have her sitting here in Santa Barbara in the Arlington and I wanted to ask her about something different. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a mistake, I think, mm -hmm. because people wanted to hear about that and guess what? The 2,000 people sitting in the Arlington had not read every single interview <laughs> oh. like I had, right? Oh. You weren't taking into account that you oh. were the surrogate for the audience. Exactly. Yeah. So when I do for print, 
I'll read those interviews and then I'll translate those into the story and I'll sort of paraphrase. Well, they've told this this place this answer and you know and mm-hmm. then I'll give them the quotes that they gave me. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that I did was um, I tried to bring out a different Samantha B than we see on television every night because we already can see that for free on television and these people had paid good money to sit there and watch her in person. And I thought, well let's get a let's get at some different stuff. Let's get at the personal person and what does she like at home and what is her family like life and what was her childhood like and that sort of thing. Um, and so that was just an approach that I took. Some people really liked that. Some people wanted her to do more of what she does. They came, they came to see the, the Samantha B from television. Yeah. I, that's, I, I like your, your approach though is much more what we do like in here and on this podcast yep. is that we're always looking to pull the, the talent quote quote mm-hmm. talent off their script mm-hmm. because because there's 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 already a documented well documented archive of everything they can say about whatever it is they're mm-hmm. they're going to pitch or plug um, and you even you you read this about Stephen Colbert and and you right. know all all the other late night people are talking about when the guest shows up all they want to do is pitch their their product that's why they're there that's why they're there and I have five and a half minutes with them Conan talks about this too and my goal is to get them off that for four and a half to four forty five <laughs> worth of the time we have and the last 15 seconds I'll say and you, and you have a new movie out and then they you know so you want to ask them about everything else in the world because because otherwise you don't stand out you're right. just another stop on their on their on their junket so I, I applaud you for for attempting something different <laughs> with Samantha B. Uh, I, you know, because you get to look back and be proud of that. You should look back and be proud of that. You know, yeah. I am. It, it's it's like a um, it's it's really an adrenaline pumper, too. I mean, it's like a, oh, a yeah. sport. It's like a full. Con- I was yeah. exhausted. Oh, were you? <laughs> like, sure, yeah, because sure, sure. you're you're, you know, a good interviewer because I teach interviewing as well. What? A good interviewer is bury the lead listening while they're. You know, you have to be. So in other words, you can't go into an interview with a list of questions and just go on to the next question. You have to listen and pivot from that answer, right? And so yes. my house my house burned down in a fire. Oh, excellent. Okay, and so how was So, <laughs> when did you meet your wife? You know, that's not how it works. Or like you'll be or I used to when I was a cub reporter, I would be, you know, have my questions. Yeah. Okay. And so and then they'd say like, "Well, there was that stint in prison." And I'd be like, "Great. So, tell me about your past, you know, and, and miss it entirely." Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you have to learn how to do those kinds of things. So, I'm listening to Samantha B and I'm trying to turn so that I audience can see her and she's not staring at me she's looking at them and I'm watching off in the side because they're signaling me when so they want me to wrap up. you're being a producer at the same time. Yeah it's fun and then I have my notes that I want to make sure I get I hit these six things to make sure but I don't want to be like too much staring at my notes right. right. We interviewed Helene Snyder in the middle of her um, uh, run for Congress and she sat in this room and it was exactly as you describe and people would say that like like how how was it how was it interview and i'm like she's so fast she's she's like every answer <laughs> she's, she's gi- yeah and every answer she's giving is so packed with with like that like the house burned down the dog was lost we <laughs> you know sunk an aircraft carrier and there might have been nuclear war but we we fought it off and i'm like oh, uh, the dog what like, it was like trying to keep up it was a it was a mental she was so fast and so on her game and in the middle of her campaign, and I was like, "Whoa, don't ever!" That is, that's a, that's she showed up, and and we were like, "Oh wow, this is the real deal. This is a real, <laughs> this is an interview." And that's I, you know, Samantha B. The lights click on, and she's she a knows pro. Her stuff. Yeah, yeah, that would be a full a full sprint to the finish. So, bringing it around to the person who's listening, who's probably not in our business of mm-hmm. interviewing, they kind of are in the business of interviewing because mm-hmm. they hire people. Mm. Right, and they talk to employees, and right. they talk to people, and they around get new them. clients, and they, uh, hi- yeah, right, <laughs> like it's, all of business. Yeah, all pretty w- much. When you meet a new person, and you try to figure out whether or not you're going to continue much. in business with them. And so I think there's there's some uh, we're stuck on this thing called lateral lessons right now. This what do we learn in one domain that we take and use in another domain? So our listener knows I'm a martial artist. So what do I learn from being living a martial life that applies to business, or what do I learn in like I didn't realize improv was going to have such a profound impact on this show. Mm. For instance, like teaching me how to listen mm-hmm. and how to, you know, what's that? People will come and say, what are we gonna talk about? I says, I have no idea. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I have a general idea. I know who you are. Mm-hmm. I know what you do. I know what you've done. And then let's just go on the journey if that's okay with you, unless yeah. there's some stuff you have to, to get across. Uh, to your point, you know you've done a great job when, they, when you, they're off script. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've said to Patrick many times, my measure of that was a good show, not only energetically was it a good show, but how many times did they say, oh, that's a good question, <laughs> right? And the, my record is six, by the way, just if wow. someone was capturing. It was the, uh, the, the uh, professor at Stanford who wrote the No Assholes Rule book. Oh, sure, yeah. He was six, and I was just, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'll just I'll hang <laughs> it up. I, I want to get that. Um, I'm curious, back, back on interviewing, when, think about interviewing um, an employee or a prospective employee or someone who's going to come on that's kind of very script driven, right? Because mm-hmm. there's some things I need to learn mm-hmm. about them. Um, where in that process do we have that more conversational thing? Do you like to maybe go have lunch with them or go have a cup of coffee with them to try to get them? Because they're, I mean, this is a high stakes conversation. Mm-hmm. I want this job. Mm-hmm. And it's high stakes for you because I want to hire the right person mm-hmm. because a bad hire is expensive on all kinds of reasons. Right. Where does the that conversational listening, that back and forth come in, do you think? So are we trying to get them to let down their guard? Yeah. So I have a I have a really easy trick that I use. Oh great. Um, that I teach that I asked all my students to use and tell me how it went and they had good luck with it, which is it's ridiculously easy, but um, you can you can just say, talk about that for a minute. Oh. On any answer, so they give an answer and then yes. you say, talk about that for a minute. And <laughs> I have found that it, w- I know it sounds ridiculous. There no, shouldn't no, be no, no. like five or six words that just work really well, but um, it, it's worked really well for me. If, if someone starts talking about something and then they close up and you can see in their face they're, they're done, they don't wanna talk about that anymore, and then you ask something of them, people want to give you what you want, um, especially in a job interview. And if you just say, huh, talk about that for a minute, and you just are silent and stare at them, they will do it. They will give that to you. Um, I should be in the FBI or something, CIA. <laughs> like It's like a, a, a tactic for drawing information out of people. John Davies, who's also been on the show, who you know, yeah. um, is a, a black level, black belt, sorry. He's a black belt level in nonverbal communication. Ah. So he would, after asking that question, would be watching you. And if he could see your feet, see your body language, see it, he would. He's almost irrelevant to what you say. Right. Wow. He's reading He's the rest of you. crazy yeah. good at that. Oh, interesting. Like, I don't think we should be spreading that around. That <laughs> no, because he loves, we, well, we do a show for him as well. We've done three seasons for him, and nonverbals are a big part wow, of what he does. Wow, I'm going to be does. super conscious of that next time I see yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. Ever since he's oh. been in the studio, I'm suddenly like, oh, don't don't cross your arms while you're talking to him. That tells, that tells him something you might not want to say. So we'll watch TED Talk and turn the volume off. Oh, Wow. Right. Does he help you with those? Um, he is. He's been a supporter of ours and has helped. He comes and talks to our. We do storytelling workshops, mm-hmm. yeah. so he, he comes and speaks and talks about all that nonverbal mm. communication. So this, it's interesting. That's really that. interesting. Uh, it, so, uh, people who listen to podcasts, there's, uh, we keep notes, right? Because there was like that one thing you learned, like you said, you were driving but you mm-hmm. um, couldn't write that right. one thing down. I'm, I'll, I'll stop and have Siri take a note for me because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, there was that one thing at the 30 minutes that <laughs> talk about that for a minute reminded me of the turnaround, the show. Mm-hmm. Ira Glass's uh, version of your sentence was, oh, give me an example. Mm. So it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I found that I use, I have a whole list of all the things that I learned from that That's show. That's great. Because it's like, because someone has that canned deal, like right. you said. That's the canned deal. Then it takes it from the broad to the specific. Give me an example. Right. But the the, the thing in both of those that, that I'm hearing that's very, kind of is the linchpin to it. Mm. it and, t- and tell me if I've got this. Um, it's the the part you said where you just shut up mm-hmm. and listen. Like you have to you have to you have to si- you have to just silence yourself, 
and not give them help with it. Right. Like not, not lead them into where yes. a different direction. Yes. It's the volley. It's the tennis racket. Boom. Oops. It's back at you. And they weren't, you know, they weren't quite ready for that. They thought you were going to go into some yes. other kind of, they're like, know. I'm closing my mouth. I'm looking at you go. And you're like, no, you go again. Right. It's the and art of the follow up <laughs> question, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Like, you've done enough background research. You have a good sense. Right. Now it's the follow up. There's uh, uh, Alec Baldwin has a show called, um, now I can't remember the name of his show. Don't at me. It doesn't make any Yeah. <laughs> does, um, yeah. Um, but he had Paul Simon on. Mm. And oh, that, was, it, that was the best. Yeah. And, and uh, so he's asking questions, and Paul says, do you really are, want, are you reading questions? Do you really want to know this stuff? <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah. And he goes, are you not just going to talk to me? I'm sitting right here. <laughs> and he reached over and grabbed the questions <gasps> and tore them up. Oh, wow. It's so, a great bit of it's a great bit of radio where it's just like, I'm Paul Simon. You're Alec Baldwin. And we know each other. What are you doing? Like, yeah. You're really like who like who even I think even questions like who even put those together for you? Like you who wrote those staff. questions for? You? Yeah. yeah. Staff, staff, staff did it. Oh yeah. Gosh. It's a beautiful moment. It's what you hope for as an interviewer. It's your dream as an interviewer to get somebody that, that like you're saying, like everybody knows Paul Simon. Yeah. He's done a million of these things. Like there's nothing new under the sun that's going to come out of Paul Simon's mouth. And then suddenly he's questioning the, the entire institution of interview. Views. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Say, like we're not going to do it like this. Yes. Like nobody wants to see this. Um, do you, uh, in your travels with the film festival, did you ever meet the folks from Teen Press? Yes, I did. So JSB, as mm -hmm. uh, he's known, John Bittner, mm -hmm. uh, the instructor who's now retired, who's now out changing the world. I know, doing amazing stuff. Oh my gosh, traveling everywhere. He's so I did a story on John um, when he was taking kids across the country on bicycles. On bikes, yeah. Yeah, that's the first time I met him. He, um, we met to have coffee before he, he was on the same uh, TEDx stage in 2011. Yeah. As Jenna was. Yeah. And uh, he's taller than me, which I love, because <laughs> uh, I'm a tall guy, so I love people taller <laughs> than me. And I met him, uh, it was the, it was the night before Ted, it was at the speaker party. We'd had met, but I was talking to him in his talk. I was really happy with his talk. And I said, we found out that we're two months age difference and that we're very similar in a lot of different, I said, we are gonna be friends for the rest of our lives. Watch this. And we have stayed friends since then. Wow. What's interesting to me was I really dug into how he taught the kids how to interview because mm. you were saying you would do research so he to, for our listener who doesn't know um, uh, teen press is 12 13 year olds mm -hmm. who go to the film festival mm -hmm. and get to inter they are in on, on the, the line carpet. they're on the press line and they get to talk to everybody that's coming down that line yep. and will and Roger loves them so Roger mm -hmm. will they sometimes will get to go in the green room and mm -hmm. interview as well and his thing is always Ask the question that hasn't been asked. Right. 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 And so they do. And, and it. he's also uh, very uh, subversively teaching them research skills, okay. <laughs> which is great. Yeah, right. Just good. like learn that so and so fell in love with poetry from his middle school teacher. So then hmm. that never came up anywhere. Go talk about poetry. Right. And that turned into an hour conversation. Wow. Another another great thing about asking the question that hasn't been asked is then you'll be the one whose story is quoted by someone else. Right. Right. When they're doing the research on the person. You become the person who 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 created a, a poetic moment. With right. Them. Yeah. Do you as, stay you know, away as from said in, as said in the Santa Barbara Independent. <laughs> Do you stay away from topics? Nope. What does I, that mean? I, what do you mean stay I away from I lean towards them. You lean towards them. <laughs> I've been doing this so long. There's no topics I can't. You know, I need I need all the topics I can get. Uh, at, at the reason I say that, Ted, um, we stay away from pseudoscience, uh, politics, and religion, typically. No, I, I lean into politics and religion, and I don't know what pseudoscience means. Pseudoscience is going to be something that can't be proved with data. Uh, oh. If someone gets up there and, and has some paranormal experience. Oh, oh, so, I mean, I would just make fun of that. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> much as I do politics and religion, frankly. Hmm, how would I journalistically approach that? Uh, probably by making. Fun. I will poke yeah. at yeah. it. But you know what? One thing I want to, I do want to say um, that came up with this person who emailed me yesterday was when I when I poked back a little. She said, "Well, I just want to tell you that, um, you know, your your column just reminds me that um, the press is." inaccurate and full of opinion and don't you ever think that it's fact and I so I wrote back and I said you know I'm so grateful for the opportunity to instruct you on what a column is so this is an opinion column yeah the long name for what I write is opinion column um, <laughs> and this is not fact this is my opinion and it's I'm really glad that you brought this up because I need for you to understand the difference between hard news which is fact and what I'm doing, which is opinion that is based on fact, it, right? Isn't in the layout, isn't it? I mean, I think I could pull one out from over here. It's that's what's at the top, isn't it? I the don't word opinion think is very it says opinion in the in the independent. But um I mean it's clearly opinion. It's yeah, very opinionated. Right. Um, you're not you're not fronting anything else but no, that. Right, no, no, yeah. no. And so I think that's really important. I I really do. And that's why I'm able to talk about politics and religion and, and sort of be out there with those ideas. And and especially one thing that's really important to me right now is this whole fake news thing and you know that the and the, the idea that the um, that what's being reported is nonsense. It's so important to me that people understand the difference between what's legitimate journalism and what's, you know, what's opinion. And I think that that is 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 really being lost um, in in the narrative that's coming out of the White House. Yeah, it's a it's a national it's it's not even national. It's a global conversation right now. Yeah. I'm I'm struck by this week's New Yorker has an article on uh, it's called uh, the hashtag now would be called deep fakes, mm. and it is how uh, computers and AI are doing, uh, be able to create uh, digital photographs and digital video mm. that didn't exist. Mm. Um, there was a thing that circulated just this uh, earlier this year about um, Obama giving a talk that he didn't give, mm. that this was an, an example of this technology at Berkeley. Wow. And uh, when you read the article, I love The New Yorker because you're going to get you know, 25 pages mm -hmm. on this and see it from every different angle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we look at a photograph and we think that's truth. Right. And they explain how when photography first came about, they had to, like, prove that this was a real thing, <laughs> right? And now we're like, yeah, no, we know that's not true. They give an example where the laser printer changed when you would get a letter from the government you know, official looking letter, you're like, oh, this is official, I'm going to pay attention to it. But as soon as anybody could print official looking stuff, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, that's crap, and I throw it away. That's <laughs> what's happened with photographs, that's what's going to happen with video. Mm. It's just interesting. Yeah, right. Fascinating. Huge conversation. This has been, a, our time has evaporated. Chook. Just wow, like that, that it's gone. And uh, our listener who uh, knows what's going to happen next, which is a um, favorite part for me, oh, we have a ringer in the house, sir. Okay. Because she does this for a living? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we'd like to give you the opportunity to title the show. Oh. Because <laughs> what happens is the listener may have come in through another show. A friend of theirs forwarded something to them. And I'm like, gosh, that was good. What should I listen to next? And they look through the long list on their phone. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be the title that gets them. So okay. what's the title of this conversation? I'm going to tell you that right now yes. while, we're while we're talking. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I work so long on my headlines. I think you also taught about um, uh, writing on deadlines. So I that's, did talk yeah, about So writing you're writing on, on deadlines So right usually now. I love alliteration, so I always try okay. to. So I would pull, the things that I would pull out of this would be like storytelling, music. We talked about, um, we talked about arguments. We talked about, I would say, like, lessons from or notes from. And then I would try to find words that started with L or N or, you know, I would put those all at the top of my story and start to make a, a little word puzzle and see what see what worked. Um, so let's see. What do you have in your notes there that worked? Oh, yeah, I so have tell, tell us more about that. Yes. Why don't you yeah, go into that a little <laughs> bit more? Talk more about nice. that. Talk more about that. Nice callback. Um, yeah, good job. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Well done. Actually, why don't we call it Talk More About That? That's okay. pretty good. See? That's great. Thank you. There it is. Thanks okay. for that. Yep. See? Talk more about that. Uh, 
thank you so much. You're I really welcome. appreciate that this. Was fun. I'm uh, just so our, our listener knows. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but um, as the representative from Fielding, thank you very much uh, oh, for sure. for helping us with TEDx. Oh, yeah. But w- what our listener doesn't know is that you and I are going to do a series of three salons in 2019. Yes. A salon is a smaller TEDx event where we're going to watch probably two or three talks and have a conversation about those talks. So you and I are going to sit down and figure out what would be interesting things to dig into, then uh, curate those talks. And then I'm hoping you might bring us a professor or two who can help lead us uh, as a community in those conversations. We'll do those at the Impact Hub and uh, people uh, listen to that. I'm really, really excited about that. It's going to be fun because we can focus on one thing, whereas a TEDx focuses on a lot of things. So thank you so much. We can find you. We'll put a link uh, to The Independent and a link to uh, your LinkedIn and all that stuff so people sure, can. Sure, yeah, and I have a website at starshinerochelle.com. Of course you do. Yes, we will go there. Uh, I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Polestring Press. Now, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, and I'm actually talking to yet another person who has been on the show, Patrick. Mm-hmm. What a surprise. And they're like, I want to do that for my organization. So how would they do that? Well, first and foremost, uh, just, yeah, decide that you want uh, to expand uh, the reach of the story that you have to tell and realize that podcasting is, I mean, we're, I don't want to say we've jumped the shark here, but uh, we are, it's everywhere. Everybody has uh, has has realized that this format and this platform is a thing uh, that allows their their audience to grow passively. They don't. There's not a lot of work and not a lot of effort involved. So uh, reach out to us, contact us. You have a story to tell. You have uh, all of the components you need. I guarantee you. I guarantee you have the components you need to make a compelling podcast. Uh, come talk to us about it, and uh, we will set you on the path of uh, permanently. I'm trying to use alliteration here. <laughs> permanently <laughs> uh, produce producing publish. publish- and partner yeah. with us. Wow. Yeah, yeah, for well sure. Yes. Done. Now we've done this a couple times. Uh, just drop us a note to podcast at 805connect.com or drop me a note, mark at 805connect.com. All of our shows are directly related to you calling us saying, here's an interesting person I met at coffee. You need to talk to them. And we love that uh, so much. We really appreciate that. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.